Uh, last week, uh, I had mentioned that the uh, <clears throat> what the Ramchal says is that the way to achieve zikuf, which is purification of the body, and it was to, to retransform the body back into its spiritual nature or essence, <clears throat> is that the Vashem provided an actual physical means to actually dematerialize itself. It seems like it's a contradiction. And he mentions, of course, that those physical means are the mitzvahs. So I thought it would be valuable, because I don't think anybody has ever done that, is to organize the entire shas, really. Is to organize the entire shas. Is to organize the entire shas. And, and we can get a, a tremendous overview. We get a tremendous overview of all the mitzvahs, which is very valuable. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever done it, but uh, it should be very valuable. Uh, and then we can actually see what exactly are the areas that the Mershom wants us to do mitzvahs in. So, uh, last week I began to run, but uh, let me just repeat it anyway. So, the first, the first seder... Well, I remember what I told you is that the uh, what is the basis of all halachas or all mitzvahs is the Tariyak, the 613 commandments, right? That's the basis of everything, right? Because that is all the commandments of the Torah. And therefore, every halacha that we observe somehow has to be connected to the Tariyak mitzvahs, 613 commandments. The details of the Tariyak of the 613 mitzvahs is the Mishnais, because the Mishnais fills in an enormous amount of details because the Tariyad Mitzvah is Tereshev Ksav, written or the written law, and the Tereshev oral law, of course, is the Mishnais. So therefore, that provides all the details uh, of the uh, written law, and it also provides all the rabbinical uh, decrees and enactments that they uh, established. So therefore, the Mishnais is really a tremendous amount of uh, knowledge, ideas, and so on. And uh, uh, I, I just as an off because it's worth. There are four thousand one hundred ninety-two Mishnais in the entire Shas, sixty-three tractates. Each Mishnah has approximately, on average, six halachas. Therefore, if you multiply 6 times 4,192, what you realize is the Mishnais offers you almost 25,000 different halachas in the entire raw of the Torah. Call it Torah Kula, as they say. The entire, all, uh, all of, of Torah. Imagine that, 25,000 halachas. But what is important to remember is that Mishnais is an intermediate text. That means when Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, wrote the Mishnah, he assumed that you know a tremendous amount of data or information before you learn the Mishnah. Uh, so he really wrote what's called in an intermediate textbook, the Mishnahis. And he left out a tremendous amount of introductory or prerequisite information that you need to know just to get through into the Mishnah. And then, right, and then you have information which is post-Mishnah, which is Rishonim, Achroinim, commentaries, and so on. So if you really add up all the information of Mishnais, 
besides the 25,000 halachas that are in Mishnais, you probably walk away with between 100 and 130,000 halachas of the entire oral law. People don't realize that's a staggering amount of information. Staggering. And today there are many Mishnais that are written that give you the introduction and also a lot of post ideas in the Mishnais. For instance, there's a, a Kahati was the first who began to, he originated the whole concept. And then you have a Mishnais called Sayyid Dishmaya. Very good, tremendous. Then, you, of course, you have Art Scroll. And they have three different types of Mishnais. They're now coming out with elucidated, and they have the original uh, Mishnais, and then they have the Ryzen Mishnais. All of them attempt to provide not only an explanation of the Mishnah, in depth, but also all the information that you have to know before you get to the Mishnah, and a great deal of information that is useful after you learn the Mishnah. So today, it's incredible what a person can learn. All the details of the entire Torah. It's astounding. But what's also interesting is Mishnahis is approximately 40% of the whole Shas. Why? Because if you know the Mishnahis, first of all, you know the whole Seder's Royim, and you know the whole Seder Taras, because basically they only have Mishnahis. And what about the, the other Masechtas and so on? You know them also. Why? Because not only you know the Mishnahis, but also you know every time it says in the Gemara, Vahatanan, and we learn the Mishnah, you know it, because you know the Mishnahis. And every time it says a Brisa, Tanurabonan, we learn the Brisa, right? Most Brises really are 80% Mishnah, 20% new material, Chidush. Comes out, you learn Mishnahis, you know 40% of Shas. And it's all Yedias. So that's astounding. Therefore, when I meet people, I always tell them, I say, listen, if you learn Mishnahis, you will know 40% of Shas. You see. Therefore, if you learn four Mishnahis a day, you learn it well, you will finish in three years. And if you remember the Mishnahis, which isn't that hard, right, you will know 40% of Shas by heart, right, you will be called an Odom Godel, an incredible Talmud Chochem, just from the Mishnahis. In fact, I saw that uh, Arya Levine, he wrote a commentary. Arya Levine wrote a commentary, a famous piece called the Tzaddik of Yushalayim. He wrote a commentary on the uh, Mishnahis. Uh, and he wrote, he said, you know, the reason why the Gemara seems to, uh, to encourage you to learn Gemara it's in the, whatever, the, there's a whole Gemara about that. He says, because in those days, all they had was the Mishnah. But he says that today, where they have a lot of different commentaries, and he wasn't even talking about what they have today, the art scroll and all the other sites of the Shmayim. And there's a new Mishnah, it's called, uh, called Be'ar Mishnah. In fact, somebody wrote a Mishnah, it's, uh, I think he has 11 Mishnahs, where he brings all the Gemara, the information in the Gemara, relevant to that Mishnah. So he says that today, if you learn Mishnah, it's like learning Gemara. No, it's the same thing as if you'd learn Gemara, except you don't go through the Shakavataria, which is the actual debate. But in terms of all the ideas that you pick up from the whole Talmud, Shas, Gemara, you have that. It's interesting. And he's right. But you have it in the form of what's called Yedias, which means knowledge or information or data. You see? So you don't have the Shakavataria. So if you learn the whole Mishnayas, in effect you will have a massive amount of, of, of information in Shas. So if you want to become a Talmud Chacham, a tremendous Talmud Chacham in three years, okay, 
you can do that with Mishnais. Of course, the main thing is to, to know it and review it and so on. Uh, anyway, so Mishnais, therefore, is the details of, of the Taryag. And with all the other information, it's clearly the details. Gemara deals with the problems of the Taryag. The problems, right? All the central, the issues and so on. And Shochanarach is the application of the Taryag. Isn't that an interesting evolution? See? Uh, so, it's worthwhile, therefore, to take a look at the Siddur Mishnais and to understand what the essential idea, what the essential idea of, of the Mishnais is, and therefore you'll understand the central idea, really, of all the mitzvahs and exactly what the Mishnah really wants. So, <clears throat> we take Zroim. So, Zroim has many tractates and so on. It has Brochus, then it has, you know, many of the tractates that deal with uh, agriculture. But the essential idea, as I said last week, is that the central idea of Zeroim is object usage permissibility. Even if you own an object, you can't use it if it's agricultural, unless you perform a certain act that will allow the permissibility of its usage. What is that act? It's called hafrosha, where you have to separate a certain amount from the produce that you have, Right? And you have to give it to the client, the matona. So therefore it comes, you're a client. Ah, there you are. So therefore it comes out, okay, that the entire seder basically deals with all the different types of matonas or gifts, presents, that you give to the coin by separating a tithe. It's all about tithe, right? Truma, my Sarishan, my Sashani, and so on. All the chala, all the bikurim, and so on. <coughs> So it talks about the, the, uh, all the hafrasha, the separations that you need to give in all the, the, the agricultural products. Therefore, what we see is hafrasha, which means to separate, a tithe. And then to give it to the coin is a device that will pr- permit the usage of that grain or produce. That's the central idea of the entire Zerayim. <coughs> now you may ask, well, that's fine. But why is Brochus in Zroim? So some people want to say because you make a Brochus over food, and food is agricultural. Right? Not really. That's acute territory. I mean, there are people who say that. But if you really think about it, it's really very simple. Because Zroim is all about how do I permit the object usage, the agricultural usage, right? And I do that by a device called Hafrasha. I separate, and I give it to the kind. But essentially, that's a device to permit the usage of the produce. Well, what does a bracha do? The the Gemara says, right, that you really can't use the food because it's God's, and it becomes permissible when you say a bracha. So a bracha, what's the definition of a bracha, right? A bracha is a verbal declaration, right, that acknowledges the source of the object that you want to use, which is God, right? So therefore, a bracha is a device that permits the object usage of food. Same thing. That's why brochus is in Zerayim. Uh, you see? And I might as well add, well, what about Kriyashma? The first three program of brochus is Kriyashma. What's that for? Anybody got any idea for that? There are different answers, whatever. But I, I will give you an answer which I think is so simple and so logical. I think it's correct. You want to say once you, once you understand 
Okay, but why does it have to be in brachas? Once you owe Omar, the then you understand where money comes from. Everything comes from. Right, so that's why it's a first. It has to it has to be there. Okay, I hear. Nice, good. You want to say something? It has to have something Beautiful, logical, as far as I'm concerned, answer. Here's the deal. <clears throat> Let's assume you want to make an agreement, you want to enter into a contract or an agreement with somebody, about some business venture, whatever it is, right? So there are two things that you need to do. The first thing you have to do is you agree with the other person that you will enter an agreement. Right? You have to agree that we're going to agree on something. And then we could sit down and write out the terms of the agreement. Correct? But if I don't even agree that we want to enter an agreement, what are we doing with terms? Yes? Okay. So Rebbe faced that problem. He's now going to give a whole list of all the mitzvahs. Even who agrees to do them? I don't agree to accept upon me to do the mitzvahs which are the actual terms of the agreement. So therefore, you say Kriyashma first. Why? Because what is Kriyashma? One, there is a God, a supreme being. He is one God. He's the only God. He's one God, right? Not only that, he's a king, right? And he's a king over you, right? So therefore, Kriyashma is basically what? Where you accept the sovereignty of God that you have declared a king over you. Well, if you accept the sovereignty, right, then what is a sovereignty consist of? It consists of commandments. So when you say Kriyashma, essentially you're saying, I accept his commandments, because I've accepted, I believe there is a God, he's a king, he's a sovereign, he's a sovereign over me, right, and therefore I will accept, right, his sovereignty, which are what? Which are commandments. That's what it means to be loyal to a king. Right? Okay. But what are the commandments of God? The Taryag. So the first couple of prokham that deal with Kriyashma is, is because we need to agree that I agree to do the mitzvahs in the first place. Or without that, what are you giving me the mitzvahs for? Why am I learning Mishnayis if I've never agreed even, uh, right, to the fact that we want an agreement? Therefore, you have Kriyashma first. Just like a contract. What Rebbe is saying, first you've got to agree that you're going to do the mitzvahs. How? Because you've got to agree that he exists, that he's a king, that he's a sovereign, and right? And you agree that he is your king. Now, once you agree to that, which is Kriyashma, now I can give you the rest of the Mishnahis, the other 4,100 Mishnahis. Isn't that beautiful? Simple. Oh, you see, that's why Kriyashma comes first. Because without Kriyashma, there's no obligation You've never agreed that you're subject to his commandments. That's why the ikr of Kriyashma is Ol Malchushmayim. That's what it means. You accept the yoke or the kingdom of heaven, and now we can begin to talk about the rest of the mitzvahs. So therefore Kriyashma, therefore the halachas of Kriyashma in terms of the Mishnahis, is the first three prokham, right? And then once I've agreed that he's my king and he directs my life, right? Now I can make requests. So the next two prokham is about Shimon Esrei. 
which is basically about issuing different, is, is really recognition of what he does and making requests. Once I've agreed as my king and I accept his mitzvahs, I also now can do what? I can now request from him things because I admit that he runs my life. And then, therefore, the first five prokhm go on this. Kriyashma, first three prokhm, two prokhm is tefillah, and the rest, Ketzad Nebuchim is, okay, now how do, how do I do the device to permit object usage? Because that's one of his commandments. You see? Very interesting, very simple, very posh. Uh, in any case, but Zerim also deals with something else. <coughs> it deals with how do I permit the object usage or how do I permit the usage of the produce? And the answer is to separate the gift to a coin. But there are also objects that I can't use. And that's also in Zerim, which is Kalayim, you know, things which are, uh, you know, what do you call it, um, whatever Kalayim, you know, mixed uh, seeds and so on. I can't use that, so that's also in Zerim to tell me that, uh, that I even, there's no hafrashim atanam, because I can't even use it altogether. You see? There you are, that's Zerim. So what's the central idea of the entire Zerim? Object usage permissibility through hafrasha separation and matona giving it to the kohen very important and therefore we see the wheel that's the so that's the hub of the wheel and all the spokes are just the different gifts that I have to give there you are it's the spokes of the wheel <coughs> and we understand where brachas fits in and even where kriyashma fits in isn't that nice? We can add maybe a little bit on the kriyashma part. That what was that? We can add <coughs> maybe on the kriyashma part the second deck of the kriyashma speaks about. If you want success in your agriculture and everything, it's, it's like a recipe for success. We're going to speak about agriculture, how we're drawing basically. Yeah, but it's like part of, you know, you want to be successful. Yeah, but that, look, those are peripheral ideas. But focus on the central idea. What unites everything in that Seder? No, no, I understand. But why is Shema in, in the beginning? I want to add on that part. Well, what does it say? Well, it does say that I will bring I the rains and all yeah, that. Yeah, 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 okay. I mean, look, I'm sure that people can say that also. But I'm offering a simple idea. You want to tell me mitzvahs? Fine. First, I have to know. I have to declare that I accept the mitzvahs. And that's the concept of, first, we have to agree to agree. Then you can name the terms of the agreement. Okay. Uh, so, therefore, that's what the central idea of the whole room is, which is uh, fascinating. And it's just a study of the different devices. Okay, Moed. What is Moed? Well, we need a definition of, well, actually, but I want to tell you this. But the essential prerequisite of the entire Zroim is what? Is ownership. I have to own the object. Right? I need to own it. So therefore, the Roshim created the whole concept of ownership. Right? And what he does, which is interesting, is because I have to give away, separate, produce and give it away what is God really saying you don't own it I do and therefore I can force you to give away free stuff in other words what it really is is when you do trumas and maestros and all that what you're really saying is I admit that I'm not an owner because if you can come in and force me to give it away well obviously you own it right except you yourself have given it to me as a gift you see? So what the Barsham did, he created the legal state called ownership, right? And you need to declare that I do not own it. 
by these mitzvahs. It's interesting. Ah, and therefore, this is what Zroim is all about. You know, Moed. What's the definition of a Moed? There are many Moadim, aren't there? Shabbos, Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot, and so on. Right? But we need to define it. And then we'll understand what the central idea of the entire Moed is. What's the definition of Moed? Anybody know? In between. Huh? Who? Doesn't it call a Moed in between things? Yeah, and it also includes Chalamoid. It includes, oh. yeah, Shabbos, Ervin, yeah, Moed. yeah, exactly. You have Rosh Hashanah, Sukkah, Yoimov, Kippur, right? It includes um, uh, Megillah, Kainis, Rosh Hashanah, uh, and so on. Chagiga and Moed. Moed is not the in between, the off days? It's Choyal HaMoed. Oh, but it's included, included in Moed. Yeah. So how do we... What's the central idea? And the answer is Moed. What's a Moed? Anybody have a definition for that? Meet. Who? To meet. That's the... Well, that's not a definition. That's in a translation. I need a good, solid definition of Moed. You all have... You all know the Mesechtas. It's all the, the Mesechtas that deal with the holidays. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> A holiday is a translation. You need to understand that translation is not a definition. I will tell you the definition. A moed is a designated time period in which activity is regulated, which means controlled, either being forbidden or required. It's where a time period demands or regulates or controls your activity. Either the activity is forbidden, you can't do it, or you must do it, required. That's what a moed is. You see? So therefore, every moed has what? It has the time period, right? And all different, there are dates and so on. Then it has the activities, either forbidden activities, which are the 39 malachas, which are forbidden in Shabbos and Yom Tov, right? And the required, what's required? On the Muadim and so on, Shabbos and Yom Tov and so on, there's Kiddush, there's Havdolah, there's Hadlokas Neres, Kovach Shabbos, Oynik Shabbos, right? These are all required. But why am I doing this? Because there's a designated time period that demands. So therefore the essence of Moed is what? One word. The whole moed is, just like the whole Zeroim is predicated on ownership, the whole moed is predicated on... Service. No. I said it in the definition. It's predicated on... Who? No. Who? Activity. Yeah. Except the activity becomes required or forbidden in a time period. But what the Bonsham is saying in moed, what's he really saying? What do you mean? You're, you're, what do you mean? You're telling me what I can and cannot do? What does that mean? Because what the Bershom is really saying, why do we do things? Why? Because we think we're a cause. Right? Why do we do things? Right? Because we think we do something. We think that we actually produce results. We achieve goals. Isn't that true? Okay. Oh, you're, you're, you're different. Please. Oh, so you're even different, you know. You, don't, you, you already know this truth. Yes. So you don't even bother, okay. You're way ahead of us. Uh, but the essential idea of moed is what? Is activity. 
But this activity is regulated, it's controlled, you see, by a time period. It could be Shabbos, or Eliyam Toibim, or Cholamoyed, or anything like that. You see? Why? Because what God is saying to you is you are not a cause of anything. So don't, don't, don't bother doing the activity. Of course we have to, because God, six days you will work. Right? But we need to break the illusion, or the delusion, I should say, that we actually do something. It's only Rosham that does that. You think you make money because you're brilliant? Because you also had an idea? Right? Or because some customer found you and whatever? Nah. It's all God. Except we don't see any of this. So what the Rosham says, okay, I'm not going to tell you to do nothing the whole day. Right? The whole week. But I will tell you on certain designated time periods, watch it. Don't do anything. Because ultimately your activities lead to nowhere. I am the cause. Do you understand what Moir tells you? If the central idea of all the Masechtas and Moir is activity that is regulated by time. The only difference is, is that there are many time periods. That's all. Isn't that interesting? So every Masechta and Moir is fundamentally about activity being regulated by some time period. Either being required or forbidden. <coughs> Everybody got that? And therefore, the spokes of that are all the time periods. The Shabbos, right? And then there's the rabbinical time periods, right? Purim, Hanukkah. <clears throat> but it's all about activities that you need to do or you've got to stay away from. So essentially, God controls your activity. You see. But not He won't do it totally. But the lesson is, you can't do really anything. It's I who do everything for you. I am the ultimate cause. And by the way, that realization that God is the only cause of what we do will be revealed to us in the 7,000th year. Because it says, And on that day, which is in the 7,000th year, after Mashiach, what will be revealed is that we caused nothing. Everything was orchestrated by God. The only thing we did is we had Bechira. What do we want to do? But whether we did it or not was purely up to Him. This is called Shabbos. What was that? It's Shabbos Menein. Yeah. That's why Shabbos is Me'ein Why? Because in Oilem Habo we realize we don't do anything. He is the absolute cause. That's why. It's, you know, so Shabbos is really a Me'ein Oilem And that's to teach us that idea. But halachically, that's what it does. Very interesting to know. Activity. Well, it's acti- causes the lesson, but activity. You see? Interesting. One idea, one word determines what the Vanshim is trying to tell us. You own nothing, right? And you accomplish nothing. Rather so- it's a rather sobering thought. Sounds encouraging. Sounds what? Encouraging. No, it's encouraging because don't overwork till you pass. No, what what that? No, Moya tells you no. don't work it. Moya tells it. No, no, not doing crazy things. You don't do anything, even if they're normal. I'm the one that causes anything. Yeah, of course, you shouldn't do crazy things. But what the essential message is: you accomplish zero. The only place man can accomplish, which is interesting, is the decision. Should I do A or B? 
But once, <coughs> but whether you do A or B has nothing to do with you. The Rosh may allow you to do A or B or whatever. It's a very important concept. Okay, Nashim. What's the essential idea of Nashim? Nashim is all about women. Not, not, it's all about, so what, what do you have in, 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 in Nashim? You have what? <coughs> okay, you have, uh, oh wow. <laughs> you are a man of your word. So if we don't do anything, then we don't have to do shuvah. Because we didn't do anything. Well, the only ones, the only ones who do nothing, and, and they, if they don't have to do chuba, they are dead people. Everybody does something. Oh, we do something yes. Yeah. Even your thoughts are doing something. We man strives in three areas, dimensions: thinking speaking and doing so even if you don't do anything all it means is that you're not doing anything with your hands right but you're still thinking and talking yeah, right what right yeah. so you're still striving yeah so there's no such thing the only people that do nothing are dead so we do something yes before you said we do nothing I didn't say that I said we accomplished nothing. I used the word accomplished nothing. Because he is the ultimate cause. We accomplished nothing. That's what murder is about. That God can say activity is regulated on specific time periods, either being forbidden or permitted, or required, I should say. And that teaches us that activity, which is the essence of murder, really accomplishes nothing. It is God that does everything for us even though we don't see this. Very important lesson. And like I said, that has sogo, right? That he is what's called a yichat shlitosoy, that he is the absolute ruler of actions or results and actions is in Oilam Habo in the 7,000th year. That's when we realize that. Okay? Even in Yemaisa Mashiach, we don't have yichat shlitosoy. We don't have that has <clears throat> Because even in Yemaisa Mashiach, right? What do we have? <coughs> right? We still do things, except things will appear, but we don't realize the absoluteness of the fact that we really do nothing. It's only the revolution that does anything. You see? In any case. And by the way, that's what Yontif really is. Yontif is the time period of Yomisa Mashiach. Not Shabbos? No. Shabbos is the Yontif of Olim Hapo. I don't get into the whole thing. But they're too different. That's why in Shabbos, nothing is permitted. Yeah, you want to give that out? Nothing is permitted. Why is nothing permitted? Because we do nothing. But Yontif is the area of the Mashiach, and therefore we do certain things, and that's why Oichel Nefesh is permitted. Oichel Nefesh is permitted. Oh, oh, I saw. So we realize that Zroim is about the fundamental idea is, is ownership and the fundamental idea of Moed is activity. <coughs> now Noshim has what? It's all about women in the sense that Kiddushin, how you get married, how you get divorced, right? Uh, you have a Soita because uh, it's a violation of a man's rights, right, over his wife, intimacy, 
right? And you have Ksubis, um, which spells out a man's obligation to his wife, and so on. Um, therefore, the essential idea of Noshim is what? It looks like it's about Noshim, which it is because the majority of the laws or the halachas are about Noshim. Okay? But really what Noshim is all about is how do you create the legal state called ownership? That's number one. What is ownership? Anybody give me a definition of ownership? Ownership of the wife, the woman? Ownership of anything. Anybody give me a definition of ownership? Ownership is a legal state. What does it mean by legal? Means everybody recognizes that you own. When something is legal, it means everybody recognizes this as a truth, number one, and number two, it's enforceable in a court of law. That's what legal means. Okay? A legal state in which an individual has control over an object. Or I should say, a legal state in which an individual has rights of control over an object. That's what ownership really is. You see? <coughs> so the question is, this is a concept called ownership. So what, what uh, no, say the notion deals with, it deals with ownership, how you create ownership, how you dissolve it, getting right? What are the obligations an owner has toward that which he owns? What are the obligations which that which he owns is to, to him? Right? What are his rights? Etc. With what can he enter into ownership and what he can't? That's Yvamas. You cannot marry Asha Soch unless he dies childless and so on. You see? So, Noshim is really about ownership. Right? However, since mo the laws, most of the laws of ownership entails marriage, marriage is an ownership state, therefore it's called Noshim. But really, it's all about ownership. <coughs> and what is ownership really all about? What is it? What, what's the state? We know what ownership is, but what does it mean when you own? What did Russian really create? He created relationship. When you own something, you have a relationship with that object that you own, doesn't, don't you? Uh, so therefore, Nashim is based on the concept of ownership, which is really a concept of relationships outside of yourself, right? And it's all about how to create the state, how to dissolve the state, and so on. So the essential idea of Nashim is ownership, relationships. Especially the majority of the laws are about women. So it's called Nashim. But it's really about everything. Everybody got that? <coughs> ah, good question. Now, Nadorim vows. Vows, what do they have to do with ownership of a woman or marriage, right? Issues. And the answer is, because one of the properties that you have over your wife is you can annul her vows, therefore they included Nadorim in Nashim. It's really there for that one parak. You can annul her vows. So once they talked about annulling her vows, maybe you're going to tell me what a vow is. So obviously bring the homosech then. You see? And so on. Every masech in Nosham deals with the ownership or the concept. Ishus, which is marriage, is a type of ownership. Right? And therefore it tells us how to create 
dissolve in all the other ideas or categories of ownership. So therefore, Nashim is all about the legal state called ownership, specializing in the type of ownership called Ishus, or marriage. Got it? But the idea that we want to see is when the Bansham says that, what's the Bansham saying? Right? I will determine if you own or not. In Zroim, I will determine if you can use it or not. Here I'm going to determine if you can even do it or not. If you can even own. You see? So you can own, but you've got to make a Kenyan. You don't make a Kenyan, you legally military, you don't own anything. Uh, so the Mojim is calling the shots of how you even create the legal state called ownership, how you dissolve it, what the obligations are, and so on. I got that? Look how the Mojim creates a state, it's wrongly created a state of ownership, and what? And how you can use that which you own, right? In Mojim, he, 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 he created a concept called activity, and he regulates your activity. In Noshim, he created this concept called ownership, right? But he will tell you when you can own something, you need to make a Kenyan. You don't want to remain married to your wife, you need to give her a get. You see? He calls a shot altogether about what you can, when, and how, and so on, about the state of ownership altogether. Have I got that? Interesting. Now, Nizikin, was that? Yeah, a husband can annul his wife's vows. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, whatever he says, mutala, whatever. He, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, you can annul you that any time. Yeah, Nizikin. What is Nizikin? Damages. Nizikin deals with what? So the first Masechta above a is about damage. What is damage? What is damage, really? Anybody know? I mean, we know when it occurs. What is damage, really? No, that's a translation. You see, I don't want translations. I want definitions. No. You certainly suffer if you lose. No, what's the definition of damage? Or nezek, which is what Bobakam is all about. And the answer is? Correct. It's a negation or an interference or a privation of ownership. When somebody damages something you have, what he has done is he has interfered with your ownership because now that you can't use it anymore. It's damaged. You see? So therefore, Nizikin is the opposite of Nashim. It's about the undoing of the ownership through damage. But there are other Masechtas in Moed, I will not about in, in Nizikin, like Bova Metziah, Bova Basra. Why wouldn't Kitten be in Nizikin? No, it should be in Nizikin. Why? Because you undo the rules of ownership. Yeah, but remember, Gittin is where you voluntarily, you want, you have the right to, to divorce, right? In Ezekiel, the guy comes into your field and burns up your, or kills your ox, right? That's involuntary. He negated your ownership. He negated your ownership that you didn't want to be negated. You see? 
and so on. I mean, you could dissolve. How do you get rid of ownership? One, you sell it, you bequeath it, you give it away as a gift, you mafker it, which means declare it ownerless. You see, there are many ways to get rid of an object, but you did it, you know, willingly. Nizikin is where somebody did it for you unwillingly, and therefore he has to compensate. But what about the rest of the Masechtas, Bava Metziah and so on, because Seydin Nizikin doesn't deal just with damage, which is what? Which is an interference in ownership. It deals with problems of money. Who owns this? Schneimerson, two people grabbing a talus, Right? What's the problem in that Mishnah? What's the central idea? Right? Suffolk, Suffolk Pilots. Who owns this? So two guys are grabbing a talus. The question is, who owns it? So that's a problem. In own, it's, it's monetary issues. You see? So if you two guys are... Why is there a monetary issue about who owns the talus? Because it's a conflict. Edomitius is a problem because I don't know who owns it. In other words, <clears throat> Nezikin is all about monetary issues, problems with, with ownership, money, or actually problems with ownership. So notion deals with ownership, how to create and dissolve. Nezikin deals with problems of ownership. We're taking away ownership from somebody else. Nine I want to take this ownership. This guy wants to take it away from Yeah, well that, that's called problems of money. Who owns? And so therefore Nezikin... What? But Vabasa deals with, you know, I just, uh, well, Hezekria. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of ideas, you know. Um, if, if, um, Any issue with money, for instance, you have a problem and I contest and I say, hey, that's my field. So therefore, I want to take it away from you. Cheskes abatim, right? Then you have, uh, let's say, the yachpo, right? Where you have to curtail your ownership in order not to damage me. It's all about problems of ownership, problems of who owns, and also deals with what can you own. That's why ribis is an ezekin. Ribis, interest, right? Because you cannot own interest. In other words, the normal state of ownership is noshim, right? The problems of ownership, all kinds of problems, is Nezikin. You see? That's why Nezikin is Chosh Mishpat, which deals all with money problems. See? Great. So the essential idea of, Nizi- of Nashim is ownership, which is, of course, is a relationship. Yes? And God says how you're going to own, uh, and how you're going to dissolve, and what your obligations are. In Nezikin, right, you, you, uh, you negate or interfere with somebody's ownership, Right? So it's all about how you solve it. But wait a minute. Hey, you doubt, you know, you, but, but that itself is subject to the rules of God. You know, two people come and they argue about who owes who, or you owe me and all that. Right? And God says, ah, oh, I will decide who owns. And that's Chosh Mishpat. The halachas of Chosh Mishpat is all about, right, who owns, what can be owned. Yeah, but wait, who, who made the laws? God. So God there decides that if there's any type of monetary dispute or whatever, I will decide what you own. Why? Because ultimately you own nothing. It's all my gift to you. So I'll decide who gets my gift. Got it? Kachim. Tricky. Kachim is all about what? 
What is kotzer? What you say? Sorry, uh, can we get a review of this? This rhyme and nasim are all it's both ownership. No, no. I, I, um, I, uh, last week you you were here last yes, week. Yes, rhyme was ownership. Yeah, so moed I said was activity. It's regulated. It's activity which is regulated, which means control within a certain time period. That's the essence. And all those are <laughs> holidays. All that has, uh, you know, and so on. Kachim. What is Kachim all about? What's a central idea of Kachim? Kachim is about sacrifices. Based on English. What? Well, ma- well, <clears throat> well. Yeah. Marcus is that which Sanhedrin declares. It's a punishment, yeah. And that's why Shavuos is there too. Because a Shavu is one of the instruments that Bezin uses. You see? I mean, there are always what's called Mesechtes, which are peripheral. But they're still part of... Sanhedrin is the who adjudicates problems in money. Bezin, Sanhedrin. And... Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Of course. Kotchum is about what? Sacrifices, the different types of sacrifices, right? What's the central idea of, of Kotchum? It's all about the laws or the activities of the Besamikdash. Is it not? The Besamikdash is a central theme in Kotchum. Because all the sacrifices, everything deals, has to be done in a certain place called the Besamikdash. Right? So therefore, all the activities of the Beis HaMikdash is what? In Kachim. But is that what it's really all about? It's tricky. It's subtle. The answer is not really. Do you ever wonder why all the davening, Shachras, Minchamarv, the Gemara says it's all connected the Kobonus. Yes? It's all connected the, uh, it's all parallel to the, uh, to the sacrifices. Why? What does Shachras Minchamarev have to do with sacrifices? Do you ever wonder about that? <coughs> and why is it it says Migdash, a base of Knesset is a Migdash Ma'at? A shul is like a little base of Migdash. Why? Those statements are hints what Kochim is really all about. It looks like Kochim is all about the laws of what the activities in the base of Migdash. Yes? But let me ask something. <coughs> Why are these things? What are you really doing when you go to the base of Mingdash? What are you really doing? And the answer is? <coughs> who? You come close to Hashem. What, so what are you really saying? What do you mean? And when you do a mitzvah, you don't come close to Hashem? Not in the same way. Tell me, tell me. It's a shpashkina. Oh, very good. Because the base of Mingdash isn't just you're doing activities. No, you're doing the activities in God's house because that's where He lives or resides. That's the house of the world. Don't, don't get don't, don't get caught up in you know. In other words, the fundamental idea is that the Beis Hamikdash is the house of God or the residence of God of the Shechina, and therefore, what are you really doing? You are personally relating to God. It's like you walk into a guy's house and say, "What can I do to serve you?" It's unique because all mitzvahs are. I do a mitzvah. What's after with God? It's a commandment that He issued. And I do the mitzvah. But they're separate. In Kachim, you walk into his house, you face him, and you say to him, what can I do to serve you? So he answers, I want you to offer sacrifices. Why isn't Phil here then? Wait. Got that? 
So there's only three way, there's only three kinds of sacrifices, or rather, there's only three things you can say to God. Are you aware of that? Other than a request. Give me, give me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. Other than a request, right? There's only three things, which is interesting. And that's what we do. We go into the house of God. It's like going into the house of a person. It's a personal relationship. You know, it's not I do a mitzvah outside. No, it's like I stand in front of the king. And I ask him, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? So God says, there's only three things you can serve me with or or say to me. What is that? Please. (coughs) Praise. Forgive me. Oh, that's one of them. Forgive me, thank you, and I acknowledge your existence. That's it. Those are the only things you could say. Either forgive me, and that's the chattas and the osham, right? Everything with chattas and so on. Thank you, the shlomim and the toida, and all the, right? And all the other thanks given the dom and the dom, the dom and the dovas, right? And I acknowledge, that's the tomid. There are many avoiders that you do that acknowledges existence. That's it. So you go into the house of God, right? It's a personal relationship. You see? And therefore, well, how can I serve you? Well, you want to serve me, but you serve me through sacrifice. That's how you do it. In other words, the sacrifice represents you in many ways. That's what Ramban says that. So therefore, I serve God. That's his house, the Shekhinah. And I serve in one of three ways. Either I say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Or I say, thank you. Well, I say, I acknowledge your existence. You see? That's it. So that's what Kachim really is. It looks like it's all about the Beis Amikdash, which of, wait, which of course it is. But it's much deeper than that. It is a mit- it's the only mitzvah where you directly face God and you do His service in His house with facing Him and that's the relationship. You see? It's interesting. So therefore, Kachim is all about what? It's about a spiritual entity called God in his house, and these are the services that you do. That's why, what is tefillah? Tefillah is the only thing. You go into a shul, and that's like a base, that's why it's a migdash mat. It's like a sh- that's why it's like a base of migdash. And what do you do there? You pray. Pray to who? You pray to God. That's the only mitzvah where you have a direct contact with God. You see, when you put on tefillin, it's tefillin, what does have to do with him? Of course it's a mitzvah. You observe Shabbos. Right? right? What does have to do with him? These are commandments that he gave. But the base of Mikdash is you are doing his commandment to him directly. Tefillah, who do you pray to? Baruch Atah Hashem. You're saying, blessed are you God. That means, I'm in your house. Which is a shul. That's why Chazal saying once the base Hamikdash was destroyed, right? They created three other ways, or other ways to serve him, right? Which means to serve him in his house. So the shul is our base Hamikdash, and the shechina is represented by the sefer Torah in the Oren, and our service is shachris min chamara. Those are connected to Talmuds and so on. You see, that is why Chazal who knew intimately what the real story is said that we want to substitute what used to happen in the base of Mikdash. What? It could be in Kachim too. Uh, theoretically, it could be in Kachim, yeah. It could it's be. It's based on Brochus, though. 
who you talk about? Well, no, Shimon Esrei, the Tfilis of Shimon Esrei, not Kriyashma, right? Kriyashma is uh, accepting his Malchus. But it's there, once you've accepted his Malchus, accept him as king, his kingship, right? So then we can request, we can make requests, you see. But theoretically, you're right. A, a brochus, or that section of brochus, could theoretically be in Kotchum. Exactly. Because they both really are the same thing. Remember, so the essence of Kotchum is that you are doing a mitzvah in his presence, in his house. And you're doing it the only thing that way you can serve him. Forgive me, thank you, or acknowledge your existence. There's nothing more to say. And requests, right? But uh, th- those are not the essential ideas, really, of tefillah. Because he does what he wants anyway. Tefillah and Shams is a sign, like on a billboard. You see a sign getting to a direction where you want Yeah, but I don't want, that's a different concept. Why? There's three signs. Shabbos is a sign, tefillah is a sign, and bris. Why? I don't want to get into that. It's like that. a sign in the, in, on the highway. You have to know where to go. But the base of Migdash is where you need to get to. That's the destination. Because well, that, that's where he lives. That's where he lives. Yeah. So the is still shrewdier to this day. It's still there. Yeah, but we, there's no Kobanus. We don't serve him in, in any way. So the, the only place that we have a, that he has a residence, in a certain sense, is a shul. And we do a mitzvah to him. We directly relate to God. So therefore, Kachim is about the relationship that we, that we have directly to an entity, God himself. And that brings me to the last thing, Taharas. What is Taharas all about? Taharas is, what do we have in Taharas? Kalim, right? Kalim, you have Kalim, you have Olas, Nagoyim, Yodayim, Uksum, Nido. What is Taharas really all about? Purity. purity. Well, the word Tari means purity, but no. It's not what it's about. No, but neither is about purity also. No, no. He got the lesson. What's the meaning? What's the definition? What's the central idea of the whole Taurus? All 12 Masechtas. What is it? Not easy. But I'll tell you. Taurus, there's only two things that go on in Taurus, believe it or not. There's only two things. And there's only one question you have to answer in the whole Taurus. The only two, th- the only two entities that are <coughs> present in Taurus is an object and a spiritual entity called Tumah. That's it. And the question that we need to ask in Taurus, is this object Tome or not? That's it. The whole Taurus deals with two things. <coughs> Objects and those objects and the, the spiritual entity called Tumah. And the question is, does the Tumah now reside in the object or not? Is the object Tome or Tor? Tumah means that the Tumah resides in the object, and Tor means that there is no Tumah in the object. Taharis is a negative state. Got it? So therefore, Taharis deals with this, and I will give you the central idea. Taharis deals with... <coughs> The laws that govern the flow of a spiritual entity called Tumor and its relationship to objects. That's it. So therefore all the Masechtas and Taras are about that. Kalim is all about objects that can accept Tumor and can't. Right? And so on, right? Then you have Aulus, which is how to transmit the Tumor. Nigoim is a type of transmitter. It's a person who has Tumor in him, Right? 
And then you have what? You have all, you know, it's, and you, then you have the, either about objects or tumor. Your daim is all about hands on matame. Uksin is about objects. And so on. Machshirin is about how to prepare an object that it can even, tumor can reside there. Nida is a certain type of matame. And so on. Pora is all about the removal of tumor. How to get rid of the tumor. Mikvos is about how to get rid of the tumor. See, it's all about object and tumor. Does the object have tumor or not? So, we need to know the laws of how it can enter and how you can kick it out. Everybody got that? Isn't that amazing? It's pretty simple. Yeah, it's incredible. And every Masechta, remember, I'm trying to identify the hub. And then immediately you see all the Masechtas as the spokes of the wheel. But this gives you a tremendous clarity. So you now know whatever Masechta you learn, the first thing you ask is, what's the central idea of the Seder, the order? And what this Masechta deals with what spoke, what aspect of the central idea of the order? So who's us? So we now realize, let's, go, let's really get, get, uh, realize this, right? One, Zvon deals with ownership. ownership. A, that's the fundamental uh, prerequisite idea. For the foundational concept is ownership. But what it deals with is what? How to use that which you own. Got it? So therefore, it's about ownership, object usage. Murin is all about activity, not ownership. When you can and when you can't do own, uh, activity, right? Based on a time period. Notion deals with ownership, again, but how you create or dissolve in the ob- or the relationship between the object and his own need. Got it? So it's about ownership, but not how you use that which you own, but how you even create and dissolve the state. Nazikin deals with the negation of ownership, yes, and all the problems of who owns and what can be owned. Kachim deals with a spiritual entity who is called God and how to do service to Him in His house. And Taras deals with a spiritual entity called Tumor and how it relates to objects. Is it in or out of the object? How it gets in, how you kick it out. So therefore the whole Shas deals with what? <coughs> object usage, permissibility of what you own. Object usage, activity regulation, ownership creation, ownership resolution, who owns? Yes, serving an entity, God, and, and dealing with a Tumor entity, spiritual entity, Tumor. That's it. That's the whole Shas. Isn't that amazing? The objective is to get you realize we can now make a scene? <coughs> we just did. Just did. Mm-hmm. The yeah. objective is to get close to touch. Yeah. All of us is to get close to touch. See, what's important is we see there for the bunch of created many things. First, he had to create ownership, or else the whole the Zroim and Noshim don't make sense if there's no ownership. Then he had to allow you to do activity. So ownership is one. Activity is two. That covers half shas. Nizikin, which is the negation of ownership, is also ownership. You see? So, so far, in four Saddam, we only have ownership and activity. Kachim and Taras deal with two spiritual entities, right? And how to deal with those two spiritual entities. There you are. So the whole shas is predicated or based on three ideas. Ownership, activity, and to deal with the spiritual entities, either God or Tumah. It's the whole shas.
Is that astounding? To get closer to Hashem, all of this. Every mitzvah gets closer to Hashem. But I'm telling you, the Rosh Hashem created ownership, activity, and also dealing with spiritual entities, either God in the base of Mikdash or Tumah, where it is. That's it. And all 63 mesectors do what? They're just the spokes in whatever hub we're talking about. You see? So once you know this, you now can go back, which is an interesting exercise. Go back to each mesecta and see how it emerges from that hub. And write it down. You don't realize that's an incredible guide to the whole shas. And then, of course, there are all breakdowns and categories and subcategories of many different details, of course. But ultimately, they all stem from this idea. You see? And there's one more thing which I left out, which nobody called me on. The essential idea is ownership, which is how you relate to other things, how you deal with God or Tumor and activity, right? But there's something else I left out. And therefore, who? What does that deal with? What is what is what's the essential idea of, of us exactly? Very good. Who? Beautiful. It's behavior. What should your behavior be? You see, that concept of midas or benim lechaverei. So masechet always deals with what should your behavior be. Oh, I was about to ask that. So why is why is it nizikin? You answered the question really. Because because the, what, the basic way to behave is what is don't mess up your friend. You know, this is right is usually and all the other things right. It's the most basic meat of all has been really been when you think about that. All the others, wait, wait, all the other Saddam will be to deal with what? But that's between you and God, fine. But is really Midas. That's why it's in Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel is always an interference, right? It's, it's always interfering with somebody, some other person. Because that's what Hashem is about. You and somebody, the two litigants are two guys. So therefore, office which deals with what is what's called correct behavior is fundamentally what is correct behavior in terms of being Adam Lechaverei between a person and his other. Respect you see? Who? Well, it's respect everything in a, in a, in a sense. But certainly, the, the most important thing is respect what he owns. That's more, all cases and courts. is being Adam Lechaverei. That's the point. Nobody brings you to court because you're Michal Shabbos. You and God. And that's why Ovis is in... But that's the fourth... So the first concept is ownership and how to use what you own. The second thing, or the, and I'm skipping to notion, is how to create the ownership. Right? The third thing is how to, how to solve ownership problems. Those are three Saddam. Right? So ownership is relationship. But there's also activity. Your activity, A. Your activity with others is me, this is Ovis. And also, how do you relate to God, and how do you relate to the spiritual entity called Toma? That's the whole Torah. Amen. What does Amen mean? It is. Isn't that amazing to boil down the whole Torah into its essential ideas? 
You got something else? Avodah Zoh. Come on. Why is Avodah Zoh in Ezekiel? What does Avodah Correct. You are declaring when you're over Avodah Zorah, worshipping idols, that there's another God. Right? You have now interfered with God and His ownership because you now just said, well, there's somebody else. They own part of the Bria. They own part of the universe because they're God too. Excuse me. I'm the owner. Right? Not them. So by creating an illusion, illusionary owner, you have now, da- so to speak, you have declared a damage to God that you're not the only one who owns everything. Right? There's somebody else out there, another God. The Zikon. Uh, yeah, because that's damage to God. You know, imagine if I go, go to bed and say, he doesn't own it, I own it. Or that guy owns it. <coughs> Isn't that a negation of ownership? Is negation of your connection to the entire creation? Of course it is. That's why Avodah Zorah is in Ezekiel. Anybody else? Nidarm. Well, I said Nadarm. Nadarm is because since Noshim is about how to create ownership, right? And the majority of the ownership in Noshim is Ishus, which is marriage. It also talks about the rights of a husband over his wife. And since a husband can negate or annul the vow of his wife, so that parak has to be in Noshim. Once you, but in order to say, what do you mean annul a vow? What is a vow? So you've got to bring in the arrest. What about Nazir? Why is Nazir in Noshim? Why is the, because Nazir is a Noshim because how do you create an Isra a verbal declaration Nazir you create a Kedusha state also by a verbal declaration it, you know it's, it's there because how do you create in a dome when you make a Neda what are you really doing you're creating an Isra state on an object a forbidden legal state on an object oh no you're denying your ability to use somebody else you are creating an Isa by a verbal statement. In the nausea, you're, doing, you're, using, you're using the same device, which is a verbal statement, except it doesn't create an Isa, actually it does to a certain extent, but it creates a Kedusha state called a nausea, and that creates Isur. You see? But it's the same mechanism that can create two different things, so therefore, nausea is in um, Nashim. Anybody else? That, that, that kind of comes from Nidharma, but it doesn't really come from Nushin is all about making ownership, right? Yeah, Nazir yeah. ownership also. You, you, no, no, no. You what, you the ownership of Nazir in the Dharm. Well, I'm saying the reason why Nazir is in Nushin, there's no ownership involved, but the very mechanism that creates a Neda, verbal declaration, also creates Nazirus, which is a Kizidusha state. Yeah. So therefore, it's very similar laws. So therefore, they it's, many times you find that something isn't something because of there's a connection, a peripheral relationship. So Rebbe decided to put it there. You see. Anyway, we just went through the whole shas, but the key always is what the key is always to look at the central idea. Huh. The key is to look at the central idea of Shah of each seder. <coughs> then you find how each thing. Is not each mesechta is a spoke of a hub of a wheel, and therefore this is a tremendous guide. You know, in fact, what you should all do as homework, which I will not check, 
<laughs> is go through, look, get get the list of the Masechtas, and remember the ideas, write them down, and just see how does each Masechta fit in that conceptual tie-up. There it is. It's astounding when you, when you think about it, really, it's, uh, there are 613 commandments that are all connected to three ideas, four ideas. Astounding. There's six ideas. Was that? Six ideas? Yeah, but they boil down to ownership, activity, and relationship to two types of entities. God, and Sima And Sima Shas, yeah. Okay, I don't know if you realize it, but this is an invaluable gift that I gave you. Because you will never hear this from anybody else. I don't know about that. But uh, it's invaluable because it's a tremendous summary of the entire Tariyad Mitzvah. That's all the Tariyad. You see? Yeah, there are also ideas that you have to believe in God and so on and so forth, between you and God and so on, right? But if you think about that, not believing in something is really a detriment or, uh, or a damage to God. You see? If you don't fear God, what are you really doing? You're denying His existence. That's damages. That's a choyvel. You go over something, you punch him in the mouth. Right? So everything emanates from these ideas. Fearing God, loving God. Because it's the acknowledgement of a being. But if you don't do these mitzvahs, in essence, right, you're denying some aspect of existence. So in any way, this is really all the ideas of the entire shas. Any questions? Yeah, by Nazar, you're saying that's, that, that's not ownership. It's, that's exactly... No, it's not ownership. But he's taking away his, his ownership of, of grapes, of, of his hair. That's he, not he, called ownership. That's called an Easter. No, he's not doing it. He can't you eat your grapes either. He's not doing it his grapes. The concept isn't his grapes. The concept he cannot eat anybody's grapes. What have to do with ownership? Because he's saying that the ownership belongs to Hashem. It doesn't belong to him anymore. No, 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 no. Uh, 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 the ownership of here doesn't belong to him. In, in a certain sense, you could say that he is... The, a nozer is denying himself certain things, right? So one could say that the person himself is obligated uh, in terms of what he can do and what he can't do as a nozer, you know. A nozer is really a kedusha state that's unusual. You don't find that kedusha state except by Nazirus, you know. But uh, in any case... Isn't he negating some the ownership? That yeah. He's not, it's not ownership. He's negating... He's negating his inability to relate to the world. Not a matter of ownership. It's not to do with ownership. He is negating or he is declaring that my activities in this world, my ability to, to relate to anything, my ability to use, is all up to God. So it's a general statement. But he can create that at will. He doesn't have to be a nausea. You know, he can create that at will. I can also make a little connection by our voice of Kuro. The what? I've always thought of the Kikuru as a certain mind, since sort of is a notion. Yeah. He's required to be a Nazi. Yeah. Also, it's a connection with Nazi. Yeah, okay, but look, there are there are connections. What I'm trying to do is give the central idea of the whole Seder and all the Masechtas, so it's a tremendous guide in terms of now that when you sit and learn, um, uh, you, you could see this central idea, and that's the most, in the end, the most important thing, listen. Shas is a jigsaw puzzle. It, it's like halachas are all over the place. And the problem is, if somebody gives you a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, yes, right? And he says, you put it together, it's a thousand pieces. 
What's the first thing you ask for? The box. The box, not the instructions. No, the box. You want to see the big picture. And then you know where each of these pieces fit. Without that box, it's take you a year to do. It's hit and miss. You know? Uh, the same thing. Shas, in many ways, is fragmented. So there's a tremendous value in seeing the box. The box are the central ideas of each seder. You see? And then you know where each piece, each mesefta, fits. Or each of the sugis in each mesefta. Because they're just details and sub-details and sub-sub-sub-details and so on. So in many ways, it's a tremendous... Actually, what it is, it's, it's a map. It's a map that you now have, or a GPS. You know what I'm saying? It's Tumunat Hashem, Negadino. Yeah. It's a GPS, which is really a God positioning system. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where you can position yourself exactly how you can relate to the Rabbi Islam. And this is a, it's a beautiful map before you enter Shas. So, I encourage everybody to do that when you get home, because it will be an invaluable guide for you in terms of Torah. And this will... Can we push for a shoe to be shot? No, you can't. I, I, no, I, I decided I can't because it's too close to my departure. What if we do during the week? Nah, too busy. Yeah. So, last few years before the end of the season? <laughs> the last few words. Uh, it's been a pleasure giving this year. Um, I hope everybody not just enjoyed it because that's a poor idea. I hope everybody understood and grows spiritually. And I think the most important thing is that Torah has enormous depth. Not just in halacha, but Torah has enormous depth in hashkafa. Uh, many people think, and, and, and it's unfortunate. Why? Because people think, well, the most you can say in Torah is a vertel. It's a nice concept, a nice vault. You know, you say it over a kiddush, you say it over a Shabbos meal. But Torah is not just vertlach. Torah is the blueprint of the entire creation. As such, it can be studied that way. You know, if you're an architect, right, when you design something, you design architectural plans, right, every single piece in that building, whatever the plans are, has a function and it has a position how it relates to everything else. Correct? That's what an, that's what an architectural design is. Torah is the blueprint of the Bria. Therefore, every idea is the same concept. Hashkofa is the study of the architectural plans of the Bria of creation. It's really what it is. So therefore, my pur purpose isn't to sermonize or to give you a nice thought or a little vertel, a little idea. No. This is the Bria. We are now studying the blueprints. That's what it is. And that's why it's beautiful to look at when you see the depth. You begin to see what the blueprint is and how everything connects in, in science to have a word for this. It's called elegance. <coughs> elegance is where everything fits in just an incredible way. You see, when you study Torah at this depth, which is Ashkofa, which is a study of the blueprint of the Bria, then it is an incredible elegance to view Judaism and Torah that way. You see, that's what I hope you take away. That Hashkofa isn't, by the way, I'm also learning Hashkofa. You know, what are you talking about? Remember, what is Halacha really all about? I want to give you the difference. 
Remember, Hashkofa is the study of the architectural plans of creation. Everything. And that's what we're really going through. What is the study of Halachas really all about? Remember what I said Halacha really is? A Halacha is a trigger or a switch to bring down an ore that will retransform your body into a spiritual state. But it's a trigger, it's a switch. It's not the circuit. You see, it doesn't tell you, it's like, you know, I'm going to teach you all about the light switch. Fine. What does it have to do with all the circuits and the wires and the resistors and the capacitors and the, and the, and the transformers, you know, and so on, you know? So really, the, of course, I'm not in any way denying, but I'm giving you its place in the system. The study of halachas ultimately is triggers or switches or regulators or dials, you see. But when you think about it, what about the, what about what the dial is controlling? What about the whole mechanism? You see, you know, you go into a car, right? And you turn on the switch and all of a sudden the car stops. What, what, right? So what are you going to do? Well, you know what the car is all about? It's all about the, the driving shaft, the wheel shaft, and it's all about the key. Is that what it's all about? What do you mean? There's a whole front transmission and back to this car. Whatever happened to that? So the study of the drive shaft, which is the key, I'm just showing you, is really a study of halachas. It's the switch that turns on the motor. But what motor? There's a motor? You mean there's a differential in the back? There's a transmission with gears? Really? Yeah, that's Hashkofa. That's why the Ramchal places such incredible emphasis on the study of Hashkofa. Because it's really the study of the whole automobile, car. Why do we have to be a professional electrician when we could just take that switch and flick it open with halacha? You're saying Hashkafa, we have to learn all the wires, why the red wires here, the blue wires I mean, why here. do you have to do why? that? Yeah, why That's a good question. And the answer it's is? Good, the answer is? No, the answer is? Because God wants you to know His system. That's why it says, Right? Right? Of Yodata Hayoim. That's how it starts. Yodata Hayoim. And you'll know this day. Right? God is the master, the Lord of the universe. In the heavens above and on the earth below, there is no other. But it says, Yodata Hayoim. He wants you to know. And the Ramchal says, That's the Chiyuv to learn Hashkafa. Or the first mitzvah in the Torah is Lodas Hashem. To know God. How? Through the Halachas? No. You can only know God. To know God means who He is. What He did. What's His relationship to the creation? Why did He create man? What does He want from us? This is all part of to know God. We want, you know, the Radaz Hashem is to know God and His actions. Therefore, the actions of God is the totality of creation. That's why the Ramchal, many people say, that's the mitzvah to learn Hashkofa. You see? And then there's the triggers. You have to know the halachas, because without that, you know, how do you observe the, 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 the commandments and so on? But I'm just telling you, the commandments or the, the tariyag mitzvahs are fundamentally the halachas, the triggers or the switches that do the job of bringing down the ore. But the version doesn't want you to know the triggers and then walk away. He wants to know my whole creation. Who am I and what did I do? So you have to be an electrical engineer. Correct. With, with a doctorate in order to be a firm you. Well, you, you have to be an electrical engineer. You just that, have to, with that same muscle. 
know where all the water yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's when... Uh, that's when... Don't speak well like it's a It is a terrible Why do people learn... Why? You have to be an electrician who enjoys wires. Why? Why? Yeah. And really, what that is, my summer and my sabracious. Right? He wants to know my summer cover, my sabracious. Right? But the interesting thing about it is that, like I say, why do people learn Kabbalah? Because Kabbalah have to do with them. You know, so some you could say, well, if you learn Kabbalah, then when you mechav in Hashem or Yichud, you'll know what happens. What do I care what happens? Hey, these are the prescriptions, you know, and that's all you do. But people want to know what is the mechanism that interfaces between God and our and the whole Bria. Who is God? What are the stages of development, the chronology or the evolution of the Bria? So it starts out with God. Then has all the alumas, all the worlds. And then you learn about the triggers, which are the shamus and Yehudim, of how to influence the or. But Kabul is really basically about what? It's all about what? Learning who God is and what He did. But what He did in the spiritual realms, right? That's why they do it, and so on. Uh, because it's a mitzvah to learn the Sisrei Torah. That's called the Maisim Rekova, and so on. But in any case, that's what Hashkofa is. That's so I hope, we yeah, that's, yeah. That's, well, that's no, one of the things to bring down. Yeah. So therefore, I'm ho- I hope that uh, that really in the end, the central idea really of this year is not just the information of this year, is to understand this is the study of Hashkofa. This is what the Bonsham wants us to know. This is a study of the architectural plans of creation. He just doesn't want us to know only the triggers or the mitzvahs. You see, he wants us to know Yedias Elokim, or Yedias, right? That's what he wants to know. Because with, through that, first of all, we'll have tremendous Yerushamayim, number one, because when you see the incredible magnitude of who he is and what he did, you get Yerushamayim. But it's a Kiddush Hashem. Uh, you know, you, you know it's, it's like, uh, look, to study the king and his empire, right? And his relationship to us is all part of the majesty of the king. You know, a guy's going to say, I'm not interested in any of this. Just tell me what to do. Well, that's a bizarre to the king. Right? It's a bizarre. The, 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 the man. The priest here knows the entire lineage, lineage of uh, the family, etc. <coughs> but the study, <coughs> but the, study the, the king and his doings, his activities, what he created. This is part of the godless, the majesty of the king. That's how we declare his majesty, that what you did is so awesome, we need to study it. You know, you may be saying, well, what pragmatic use does it have? Okay? Okay, That's one idea. But the pragmatic use itself is the Torah of this type of Torah. Why do you study Kachim? No, basically, just anymore. But there's an Indian in studying Torah, whether you can use it or not. Everybody says that. That's why we learned Kachim, we learned Taras. There are many things that you'll never do. You're going to write a get for somebody? That's for sure. Yeah, right? No, no, I'm not talking about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody's going to come over to you to write a get, then what are you learning get for? It's just me. Uh, you know, the guy in yeshiva is learning get, you think he's going to ever write a get for somebody else? Of course not. Uh, so why is he learning getting? Okay, Kedushin maybe because he's got to get married. But getting... And so on, you know, there's so many... Diff- you think guys are going to... Cheshire Mishpat? 
I'm not going to paskin for anybody. You want that? Go to Abedstam. So why are we learning about Kamobam Tzirbabasra? Because God wants us to know things, whether they're useful or not. It's like they say, why do we have to learn the laws of Ben Surah Moira, a rebellious son? The Gemara says that that never existed. Nobody ever became a Ben Surah which is a rebellious son that you have to kill, whatever, right? So the Gemara says, Zil, Limud, learn it, and Makabadashah for the Limud. What? Yeah, whatever the Russians, right? Why? Because there's a mitzvah of Limud Torah independent of Asiyah HaMitzvahs. Got it? Got it. Why? Why? So, because Asiyah HaMitzvahs is one thing, but there's Limud Torah even without Asiyah HaMitzvahs, because that's part of, we want to know who God is, we want to know what He did, we know why He did it, right? So we can come to know Him, right? And love Him, and fear Him, etc. So therefore, Hashkofa is the study of the architectural plans, and so on. Halacha is the study of the trigger or the switch, of how you actually bring down the, and so on, you know. And and that, well, well, anyway, and that, and wait, and that's, and therefore that's what he did. Everybody got that? Therefore, I'm hoping people will, that's really the idea I hope you walk away with. That Hashkofa is an incredible limud, whether you can use it or not, but it's a significant limud in terms of knowing who God is, what He did, because that is the majesty of the King. That's how you declare His greatness. By being busy with everything He did, He created, that's a declaration of the majesty and the greatness and the glory of the King. Got it? That's what, wait, wait. Therefore, I hope everybody got that uh, in, in the sense of, the, that's, the most, in, in, that's the most important message to take away. And then, of course, you have all the Ashkofa. What do you think Ramchal was so busy writing Ashkofa in Kabbalah? Because it's, it's an area of which is a true understanding of his majesty and his might. His Yichonis, what he could do is awesome. You see. Uh, and even the Rambam says, study nature, study biology, study the astronomy, so you will develop a tremendous knowledge of who God is. That's what Rambam says in the beginning, the Mishnah Torah. And by knowing his knowledge, that's how you come to fear and love him, you know. That's that's the, and and fear and love are one of the two most essential mitzvahs, because they are the exact relationship that you have to have to God. You have to love Him and fear Him. You see, besides doing His mitzvahs. Anyway, that's a central idea that I hope everybody walks away with. Okay, uh, have a great winter, and uh, see you uh, shortly. Basically. Basically. <laughs>